Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the Lions! Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend all time with you just the two of us. And welcome to a special edition of the Two Solitudes podcast. Today is the playoff preview, play-in preview, wildcard preview, whatever you want to call it. It's the postseason. It's something we here in Toronto have no clue about because we've had eight years in a row without them. But the Vancouver Whitecaps for the second time in three years and for the third year in a row in Canada, uh, when you include the impact last year, there is a playoff game here. So, um well, Caps- not a year because technically there's never been a playoff game in Canada. But yes, the playoffs are here. TSN has a home team to go on the road for. That's, yeah. that's what we're trying to say here. Uh, for Wednesday night, they're going to play the, the play FC Dallas, the Vancouver Whitecaps. So we're going to do a bit of a special edition to to preview that game. Um, we're going to have uh, to give you a bit of a schedule for the rest of the week. As you know, this is podcast crazy week. It's almost as bad as when the Olympics were on, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a podcast tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Montreal Impact season in detail. A podcast the following day when we talk about the Toronto FC's season in detail, and um, we'll tag onto that one. We'll talk about the Whitecaps game as well, and uh, that's about it for now. But you never know. Uh, at any rate, before any um, before we go any further, we have Michael McCool on the on the line uh, here from Vancouver. He is Kane uh, Soccer News' uh, AFTN writer for Vancouver. He's been with us for a while now. Great writer out there. Great blog. Unique perspective. A completely unique perspective from other writing on CSN, and I think that's what makes CSN such a fun little site sometimes. Uh, he joined us to talk about the Dallas game, and Kevin, why don't we just uh, throw to him now, and then, then we'll come back and we'll talk a bit more about it. And right after Michael, we'll have Carl Robinson as well in uh, his uh, pregame uh, interview. And welcome back to the special Two Solitudes Vancouver Whitecaps uh, play-in game uh, special. I use that term play-in because I'm a pedantic and bitter Toronto fan and I refuse to call it playoffs until you host a home game. Uh, Michael's on the line. How you doing, Michael? Doing very well. Uh, Michael, the, uh, I, I tease. It's a good accomplishment and I think Carl Robinson deserves a lot of credit. I don't think necessarily most of us picked the Whitecaps to uh, to make the postseason. Um they did, though. Uh, what was the key for that, that huge stretch run where you were undefeated in five and won four of them? Uh, what, what changed there? The, the big thing that changed was after the, the Whitecaps lost to Portland, I think it was about the 20th of, of September, the players had a meeting. It was a player-only meeting, and they wanted to get some cards put on the table. It's a very young squad, so the senior players kind of took control said what they needed to say, and then got the younger players to speak. And whatever was said, it just seemed to light a fire under the team, and then the intensity level was just ratched up. 
they basically knew they were playing for their lives, and some of them are playing for their chance to be here next season because a lot of them won't be. And I think that, whatever it was, things just clicked. They just ratched it up, and then it kind of helped that Portland stumbled a little bit going down the stretch. And then every single game, it was basically a must-win, and they, they rose to the occasion. Michael, a lot has been made of the, of the scoring was, and we'll probably touch on that in a little bit. But I think the key, from at least from an outside perspective, is that they tightened things up a great deal uh, down the stretch run. Uh, talk about the back line. Talk about uh, their ability to keep the ball out of the net and how important that might be in, in a playoff uh, game against Dallas. I mean, undoubtedly, that, that's definitely one of the keys. When you have a team that basically are really struggling to score, your only hope is to sneak a goal from somewhere, and that's only going to get you a win if you tighten it up at the back. They've certainly tightened it up. David Eisted finished the season with four clean sheets. And although he was getting a lot of the plaudits, he put all the attention as to those clean sheets being not just the back four, but also the two-man defensive shield with Matthias Laba and, and Russell Tiber. Those six players basically saved Vancouver's season by just playing so tight, nothing was getting through them. And, of course, the, the addition of Kendall Waston has just been immense. I mean, it's definitely the best mid-season signing the Whitecaps have done in their MLS either. And I think there's a case to argue that he's one of the best mid-season signings that any team's done in recent recent years. You spoke about Kendall Watson. You can say the savior of the Whitecaps with this goal last Sunday. How would you describe the feeling of having all laid out on the line? Do you think like at the BC place was a, a factor in that victory as well? It was interesting before the goal, Pedro Morales had hit a shot that had just flown over. And then, for whatever reason, that just seemed to ignite the crowd and they they all got on their feet. It's the loudest I'd heard BC place. I I mean, I can't honestly remember it being that loud. All all sides of the stadium were on their feet and they, they were cheering. They won a corner. And then the folks that hadn't been standing, everyone was then up. And it was from that corner that, that led to the goal. After the game, Carl Robinson said that he felt that the, the crowd had sucked the ball in the net at that occasion. And it was just so, so strange. And it's, it's keeping that intensity going now. That's the thing. Because they had the focus was on making the playoffs. The, every single game was classed as a cup final by Carl Robinson. Now they've reached their goal, they can't take their foot off the pedal, but how, how much can you keep that intensity going? That's the big question. You speak about intensity, and one thing that's been lacking is usually there's a duo that brings a lot of intensity, but it seems to have disappeared or appear in just small spurs. Maddox and Kukutamane, are they instrumental in the possibility of the Whitecaps winning that play-in game? Maddox, no. Darren Maddox, he started on Saturday because Eric Hurtado had been taken ill on Saturday morning and he was kind of touch and go. He showed in about the first four minutes on the pitch why he's no longer going to be a white cap come the end of the season. Matic has been dreadful down the stretch. He's not had much chances because he'd been dreadful before that as well. Kikuta Mane, yes, he could be a guy, but he, he is better off the pitch. Oh, sorry, off the bench. Basically, he rises when it's the big game. So he, down in Seattle, he's fantastic when there's 50,000, 60,000 there. 
but his impact is going to be off the bench. And what I think you'll see on Wednesday is Sebastian Fernandez and Eric Hurtado leading the line, and then the Whitecaps trying to keep it tight till late in the game, and then bringing Manny on to run at the, the Dallas defence and hope that something happens. Michael, it's a time-honored tradition here in Canada that uh, that young men flee from the east to, to the mountain air of, of BC for, for better lives. And there are two uh, former TFC uh, affiliates, Matthias Laba and Carl Robinson, the, the manager that are out there. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't, as a Torontonian, ask you about the contribution that those two gentlemen have made to this this great season that the Whitecaps have had. Well, Matthias Laba, for me, is my player of the season. I know Pedro Morales has won the honours that's been given out here, but like, like you were saying, the, the, the turnaround and the key for the last few weeks has been the defence. And although he's not a defender, playing right in front of the back four, Matthias Laba has been key down the stretch and all season. He's been an amazing acquisition. And like, without wanting to rub too much salt into Toronto's fans' wounds, how you guys let him go? I know it was almost impossible because you brought in the, the 3DPs to keep him. But that, to me, was one of Toronto's biggest mistakes. And you do have to wonder how your team would have been if you had kept him, because he's been phenomenal. And I just feel that he's been the player of the season because he's been consistent. Morales has got some goals, most of them penalties. He has got the assists, but he's very hot and cold. When he, Pedro's on his game, he's fantastic. When Pedro's not on his game, the, the whole team has struggled. Matty Laba, you could probably, not even on one hand count the number of games, there's probably been maybe two games that he's been really poor this season. And I just think he's been a phenomenal signing. The Whitecaps class him as being their player now, I know that there was something said in Toronto that basically if the Whitecaps want to keep him, there's still a lot of work to get done. But as far as everyone's concerned here, he's our player. He's not going anywhere. I think my understanding is that there was a, a future considerations kind of part to the deal. So I don't think that uh, if you've listened to the, the chatter out here since then, that there's any risk that, uh, that Lab is coming back east. But uh, you may have to send Toronto some allocation or whatever. Um, send you darn Maffix. <laughs> Seems about what might happen, yeah. Um, Michael, could you just uh, touch on the difference between Carl Robinson's managerial style and, and Martin Rennie's? It's massive. Martin Rennie was a salesman. And I'm not even doing disrespect to, to salesmen there because before he went into professional football, Martin Rennie was a salesman. Uh, as a job, he went round. I think it was pharmaceutical stuff. Now, basically... When you spoke to Rennie after a game, it was all spin. Some of it you believed, some of it you didn't. And I know football's a game of spin and sticking up for your players and all that, but you could see through it towards the end. With Robinson, he's been truthful from the start, sometimes too truthful for his own good, and he's just brought an air... I don't know what it is in the dressing room. This is the best dressing room that the Whitecaps have had in all of MLS. All the players are saying that, the guys that's been here for the four years. You've got a player like Myra Rosales, who's been in MLS since 2011 as well with Seattle and then Chivas, and he feels that this is the best locker room that he's ever seen. He, he's carefully picked players that have a character that fits in with everyone else, whereas what Martin Rennie seemed to be doing, it almost felt a little bit like fantasy football. He was like picking especially Scottish players that 
that he'd admired growing up, like Kenny Miller and Barry Robson, and he was bringing in guys, I think, that that were more kind of English-based kind of style, and that doesn't always work out in MLS, as, as we've seen countless times. And Carl Robinson basically thought, no, I want to go for a more Latino feel, and he's looked at Latino players that have have just fitted into the league perfectly with a style of play. But just everything that he brings to the team just seems different and better to what Port, Port, Rennie, Port Rennie brought. And it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it is. But it's, it's just the little things, I think. The Whitecaps have been known to be a team that performs real well at home in their conditions that they control. How do you see the travel and the effect of being away in Dallas? It is tough. We've struggled on the road. We do have three away wins this season, which... Three I, I more than Montreal, so. by the way. Oh, yeah. That, that win without saying. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I have to say it. <laughs> um, we, we've, we've struggled in Dallas. We've never won in Dallas. And mostly it's because we've struggled with the heat and humidity. Now, it's not going to be as bad down there as it has been. Although, watching their game against Portland at the weekend, it was 15, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, more than it usually is at this time time of year. They've kind of had some freak weather. So I think it is going to be a little bit hot still. We do struggle on the road in those conditions, and the fact that we've never won in Dallas definitely puts us uh, as underdogs there. But the last game there in September, the Whitecaps lost that game 2-1, and it was their own fault that they lost it because they gave up a freak goal um, and then they just marked terribly at a free kick after bringing themselves back into it. The other worry about going down to Dallas is, for whatever reason, as solid as David Eistead is, he's had a couple of nightmares down there where there was Blas Perez's feet goal in September, and then last season he was scored on from pretty much the halfway line. So I think that maybe isn't going to be in the back of his head a little bit as well. Is like, the things come in threes, what weird thing's going to happen this time? Michael, I know that uh, you've seen Dallas play three times uh, this year. Uh, you, you have a good understanding of what that team is. If I can just, if you could just flip around and pretend you're evaluating Dallas and trying to to talk from a Dallas perspective, if you were speaking about them, what will they need to do to beat the Whitecaps? Do you think? I think they have to attack on the wings. Um, if they try and attack through the middle, they're going to get problems with, with Waston and O'Brien. A pair of them have linked up so well that I think it's forcing teams to play out wide. What Dallas have as their their key attacking edge is Blas Perez, who's basically been a Caps killer. I think he scored in every single game that he's played against them this year. He got the two goals in September, and for whatever reason, the Whitecaps just struggled to defend against him. Castillo as well, I think he missed the last game um, and he's a, a, an instrumental thing. They have to get Castillo playing, and they really have to tack up the wing. And the wing is definitely a, a good a thing for them in this game because Stephen Betasure looks like he's going to be out with a, a hamstring injury, which then either forces Jordan Harvey to switch from his traditional left-back to right-back. And he, although he looks okay there, he hates playing right-back. Then you've got young Sam, Sam Adekutbe, Canadian homegrown product that would be on the left wing only would be his sixth MLS appearance and I think something like his only his second or third start so they're weak in the wings you would attack up there the other option is you keep Harvey as left back and you bring in another homegrown product 
and I use that term loosely because he says African, but you put <laughs> Ethan Sampson as a right back. And again, he's only got a handful of minutes. So the weak link is whichever young, whichever young fullback is playing, that's where Dallas needs to attack. Uh, Michael, just uh, before we wrap up, uh, Michael, of course, is the Canadian Soccer News is a Vancouver guy. Uh, he writes an independent blog out there called After the Numbers, AFTN. Uh, it's been around for years. Tell, tell us a bit about the history of that, and uh, I think it's an interesting story and, and how you found up uh, writing uh, writing for some Torontonian like me sometimes. <laughs> well, it started off as a fanzine back in Scotland when the, the fanzine scene really exploded in 1989. So it was a written fanzine up until 2003 for my team back in Scotland, East Fife. Then we became a website in, might have been 2003, might have been 2001. Dates are a little muddy now. And then just became a blog, and then I moved over to Canada in 2007. Started writing about the Whitecaps in 2008. Wanted to kind of keep the AFTN name going on both sides of the Atlantic. And then it's just kind of, it's just grown every year. There's been something new happened. We've got a podcast now. Um, and it's just it's going from strength to strength. And we've got a few little things and different plan for next year as well. And yeah, you write for Soccerly as well, correct? Not anymore. Um, Soccerly went in a different, horrible direction, which to me is not journalism, where basically they're going for photographs with just bullet points, and that's them going to tell the story that way. So that didn't really sit with me from a... That's not what I do, and I, like yourself, Dwayne, as well, we, we like to analyse stuff. We like to do long-form articles. Is there still a market for that these days? I think so. But some of the sites like Soccerly and Bleacher Report, they're just going for the quick hits. And to me, that's not really doing justice to, to covering your team. Well, you do an excellent job for CSN. And uh, for those that don't know, CSN operates as a collective um, more than a, a, an independent site in, unto itself. So uh, Michael does provide the, the West Coast coverage, does it very well, does it completely independently from what we do out here. Uh, we just share the same banner to uh, sort of represent that we're in this country, and we do thank Michael for uh, coming on today. And uh, haven't decided yet whether I'm cheering for you or not. I'll, I'll have to wait to see how I feel when I'm watching the game, if that's okay. Oh, I totally understand that. There's no way I would cheer for either of you two guys' teams. So I would, <laughs> we need a healthy hatred in Canada. None of this nonsense of cheering on each other. We want everyone to lose. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. All right, screw you, Michael. Bye. <laughs> nice talking to you. Thanks, Michael. Um, easily, because we were in training yesterday at 11 o'clock in the morning, so I think there was uh, no time for them to think about what we've done. It's, it's more focused on what we've got to do now, because we've got a fantastic opportunity to uh, make a little bit of history, really, for this club. Um, but it's going to take a lot of hard work, but they know what we, what we need to do and what we should do. Carl, how do you go about getting them now to the next level? Forget about the celebrating with the fact that just getting in as opposed to doing something that you're in and that you should be in. Well, I'm going to take the pressure off them. I'm going to say, listen, you know, a lot of hard work has been done, but we've given ourselves an opportunity now to do something special. You know, the pressure's on Dallas. They're at home. They're unbeaten in eight. Well, now they've lost, um, but they're expected to win. You know, we're not expected to win, but as I said, when we went to Seattle, when we were at home to Colorado, I expect us to win. I've got a group of players that believe they can win. 
let's go out and show. You know, you want opportunities like this, and it's a fantastic game for us. What kind of strategy do you take into this one game when it moves on? Do you play differently because of that situation? Yes. Yeah. Or, or do you go with the way that you've gone? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that now, am I? Come on. Um, yeah, of course. Listen, uh, we'll be organised defensively as we've been in the last five, six games, um, and we'll make sure that when we get into attacking areas, we can try and exploit their their weaknesses because they're a very dangerous attacking team. And I think Portland took advantage of them on the weekend through certain areas. So I'll analyse that. We'll work uh, today and tomorrow with that, and we'll go through a game plan and we'll try and uh, carry out that plan because. They leave holes, and if we can get our attacking players in those pockets of space, then it'll be down to whether we can finish, and we all know we can. Carl, with so much energy being and focus being um, sort of spelled on, on making the playoffs, is there a worry that you know, there's so much emphasis on the playoffs, and now you guys are there, are you, are you worried about the mentality? No, nope, not at all. Fantastic mentality in that group of players that I've got, um, a great camaraderie spirit, and it's, it's fun part now. It's a totally different season, as uh, all the managers will probably say. Now it's um, you can spin that wheel really. You know, it's uh, everyone's got a chance to win MLS Cup, and we we are one of ten teams that has. So we'll look forward to it. But we know that there's hard work ahead, and it's one that will the challenge that will go forward and you know meet it full on. About your time here, has this been the group that's kind of been the closest in the dressing room? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, and. You know, it's easy for me to say that, um, but I think that you guys who spend a lot of time around the group can see that for yourselves. And there's a lot of uh, spirit between the group. They get on well, you know, off the field as well as on the field. And winning helps, uh, and doing things and matching records and getting targets helps. And the individual uh, awards are, are brilliant. Uh, but I've said all along, it's not about that, it's about the team. And uh, I class the team as the coaches, the support staff, and every single player. The upstairs, the people above me, the fans, we're all as one. It's not about any individual. Yep, you do your individual job within the, within the team environment, but we're all needed as much as each other. It's a short turnaround. How do you combat it? Can you? I mean, obviously, the emotion yeah. of it should take over, but at the same time, even yeah. the guys who play It's tough. It's tough, but I played in the Western Conference this year, so it's not easy, is it? And um, we're ready for a tough challenge. You know, we had to go to... I look at the last five games, and we had to go to Seattle, and we had to win. We did. So we're used to tough games. And, you know, we played Dallas last time and they beat us with a wonder goal and a, and a free kick, which we didn't defend well enough. And, you know, there's a bit of edge in the game. I think there'll be a bit of edge in the game on Wednesday and it'll be the karma heads that prevail. So we've got to make sure we, we do that. We, you know, match the battle of physicality that I know that Oscar likes to bring to his team. But we remain calm because... You know, we can even win the game off the bench as we did on Saturday. We've got, I've got an important group of players here, and you know, if they start, brilliant. They've got a job to do. If they come off the bench, they can have a reaction like the guys did. Is this another major piece of the puzzle for this franchise in terms of taking it to the next level, moving forward? I think so. I think it's it's the one of the steps I had at the start of the season in January, and I think a few people probably thought I was bonkers was was trying to get a home playoff game and. You know, we've managed to retain the Cascadia Cup, which is great for the supporters, an important uh, job, well done, and, and qualify next year to, for the Champions League. So getting in the playoffs is good, but as uh, someone said there, it's, you know, we don't stop there. We go ahead now, and you know, if we can get over this hurdle, and it's a very, very tough hurdle, then what a game we've got a battle against our, our rivals. You've got some quality young players that you've used, and, and yep. I assume will continue to use. 
How yeah. much have you seen their confidence grow? How much have you seen their game grow because you have put the trust in them? For the most part, I think they responded. They, they have responded fantastically. Uh, and even the guys who haven't played as many minutes as they would like have responded well because I've seen a lot of growth in them on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'll, I'll use Sam Adekubi as an example. And, you know, I wanted to play Sam a, a few more times this year, and it hasn't happened because Jordan Harvey's been playing so well, and obviously one or two tactical adjustments before games had to be made, and he's took it on board, and he's learnt more this year than he probably would have done if he would have played 10 or 15 games because the mental side of the game is as important as the physical side sometimes. So Sammy's had to cope with that, and he dealt with it, and I think the, the game on Saturday was a fitting end for him, really, because he was disappointed he didn't start the game because of Jordan's form. He'd come on after half an hour and he showed what he can do. And, you know, what a special player we've got on our hands there. What, what did he show you in that game, just in terms of composure, especially coming off the bench in a situation like that when you guys needed a win? He showed me he is a typical modern-day fullback. I think people talk about uh, DeAndre Yedlin at Seattle, who's a fantastic player and got his, his move. I believe that, you know, Sam fits into that mould. You know, athletically, he's fantastic. He likes to attack. He's got energy, he's got quality on the ball. He likes to get in the final third areas. Um, and he can defend. You know, he needs to work a little bit more on his defensive positioning, which will come. He's 18 years of age, but we've got a fantastic prospect on our hands. Is he in the starting 11? He might be, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got 22 players travelling on, on the plane today, so they've all got a chance of playing in that starting 11. Do you might have a mental edge over Dallas? Because you guys wanted to be in this game, and they might be disappointed to be playing in, in this game after what happened on Saturday. No, it's, listen, it's 50-50, you know, and, you know, I might be saying we've got a mental edge to my players because, you know, they it was in their hands and, you know, they've managed to drop a game against Portland in a game where Portland needs to win and they wanted to win. Now it's different, you know, both teams want to win, so we might have the edge. Uh, Oscar will make sure they're fired up, I'll make sure our guys are fired up, and whoever performs on the day will, will prevail, and hopefully it's our guys. We looked uh, emotional uh, on the field after the game. Maybe that yeah. was the relief showing, but it, it, there is something special about this group to you beyond just that you're their coach, isn't it? There is, um, and I was emotional. Uh, I try not to be, um, and I've been criticised a few times for not showing emotion uh, or not ranting and raving. I'm not a ranter and raver in front of you guys. I am behind closed doors when it needs to be said, and it has been said once or twice this year, but I was pleased for the group. They put so much work in and uh, so much effort in throughout the year, and, you know, you get judged on what you do on a Saturday or, or, or a Sunday and f for me it was a culmination of all the hard work they've put in and I was emotional for them because it would have been you know, heartbreaking for them not to reach one of our goals of, of getting into the playoffs. So I was pleased for them because they fully deserve all the credit that they got. Are you surprised how quickly the centre-back partnership seems to have formed between O'Brien and Waston? I am, yeah. The, Kendall coming in has been a, a, obviously a massive hit uh, for the club and uh, for himself but he's settled in off the field as well. He's, uh, the boys have welcomed him in. He's been a great teammate, which is always important. And, and one thing I stress in this group that he, you can't be a, a solo player. You need to be a team player. And I think it's fitting that he manages to score the goal on Saturday that gets us into the playoffs. But, you know, he didn't want any credit. He, it was a team. He talks about the team. And um, a lot of my players do. Uh, and that's credit to them. So him and Andy have been fantastic over the last couple of weeks. Has yeah. Andy been underrated a little bit, his role in this? Yep, I think Andy's gone under the radar because he doesn't score goals and, you know, it, it doesn't go underestimated by me. He's very important for us and, you know, he's been he's been part of eight, nine, ten clean sheets that we've kept at the 13. So he, he's one of the important cogs we've got in our back line and, you know, he, he gets a lot of credit for me and, you know, he should get a lot of credit from you guys as well.
will there be a balancing act? Because for the last five weeks, you have been the guys with pressure on you. Yeah. And you won't have any. And maybe the guys will want to play with a little more freedom. But you've played your best with all the yeah. pressure on you for the last five weeks. Yeah, I, n I never stop my players playing without freedom. Um, there has been a little bit of pressure. I think the pressure, they've answered and responded very well to it. Because, you know, there has been questions thrown at them. Questions thrown at me about whether we could handle the pressure. And whether we could get through the summer months of when we hit a dip of form. And... I remember when we got into the playoffs two years ago, we sort of um, walked in. You know, we didn't go in in flying colours. Well, now we go in, you know, flying. Uh, but we know there's a lot of work to do. So, you know, I'll let them play with the freedom. We'll, obviously, they'll know their roles and responsibilities within the team organisation. Um, but we'll set up to catch them. Um, but we'll do our jobs. If we focus on us, we'll win the game. What's your biggest worry heading into Wednesday? Good question. I've got no worries at the moment, if I'm honest. My worry is getting on this flight because I don't like flying. So um, that's my biggest worry. The last two games against Dallas, they've been battles, both on the touchlines and on the pitch. What's the underlying niggle between the two teams? What is it that you seem to get under each other's skin? Um, politically correct answer, Michael, is that we've got both got a lot of respect for each other and we both want to win the game. You know, we'll each be given 100% players-wise. Coaches are emotional. Coaches want uh, their team to win. I don't really know. I think there is a little bit of um, a good rivalry between the two teams. It's players wanting to win, managers wanting to win, and with that uh, becomes a competitive edge. And I'd prefer to have that than just be matey-matey and friends, uh, friends all the time and on the field. The players pick each other up when they... Uh, you know, have physical contact because the game's not about that. You know, I watch the, the hockey and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So maybe I can turn my team into that a little bit without the fighting. What's the, uh, what's the other answer that's not so politically correct? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast on Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramay. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio? Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio. And we're back. Uh, look. We were teasing with Michael. I've talked to Michael for a while. We disagree on a lot. Uh, we do, legitimately. Uh, a lot on, on just perspectives on, on national team and player quotas and all those things. We are completely polar opposites in a lot of ways, but uh, he is a good guy, and we always enjoy uh, talking to him and editing uh, his work, so we're glad to get his perception on there. But we, he touched on something at the end, which we, we teased a bit about, but at the same time, uh, there's a legitimacy to it, legitimacy to it in terms of whether... Uh, Kevin, you and I, as uh, fans of the Whitecaps, or sorry, not of the Whitecaps, but of the Impact <laughs> NTFC, whether we care. And uh, we talked about this in the past show. We've had a rivalries conversation about whether Canadian soccer benefits from the success of one of the three teams. So I don't know. On a personal level, let me start with you, Kevin. Do, do you care? Like, we're all, we're all going to watch. I think we're both interested, but I don't yes. know whether we care. Do you? I care in a, in a way that either... There's two ways I think about it. Either I want, everybody likes to watch a train wreck. So when it's a rival team, it's fun to watch that side. Like, uh, example, Toronto watching Montreal, Montreal watching Toronto this season. Or it's fun to watch too. You love to hate a team. And sometimes if they get a little 
it's fun to see them maybe crash a little later. You know, if you make get the hope built up, you get them far in a playoff, they could, oh, we have a shot, and then boom, 4 nothing with the Galaxy or something. That would be fun to watch too. So those are the type of scenarios that I put myself that I want to see. And the, we talked off here about we want to see the story continue either in a good way or in a bad way because it gives us not necessarily something to talk about, but it gives us a starting point. And that's how I look at it as well. So, But on a rivalry perspective, I would not know. I know people in, I lived in Toronto, but I know people in Vancouver that I would never know if it wasn't for the rivalry uh, or podcast for that matter. Same for Toronto. I have rivalries with people I never met just chirping them on Twitter. It's a friendly chirp. If we meet, we'll probably buy each other a beer and yell at each other for a second or two. But uh, it's a funny type of atmosphere and it helped to grow the sport and the game because it gets people talking. Yeah, there's a concept that I've written before in the past that I call sports hate. (laughs) Sports hate is different than real hate. And we must always be careful to not cross lines into real hate. Yeah, and I know a couple people who need to tell them that. Yeah, and no, and that's, we all kind of know people like that within our context. But sports hate is is healthy and it adds to the, it adds to the cathartic nature of the sport, I think. It adds to what makes us love sport in the sense that we love to hate. We love to want add team x to lose because ultimately we kind of understand on, a, on an intellectual level that what we're watching isn't really that important but it's something that we add value to by by putting value upon it so without having that that love to hate aspect to it and that extends to, to most sports and not just in mls obviously or just even in soccer but to all sports um you know sports kind of starts to get a little silly when you think about it yeah. But then again, you also want to be careful to not uh, get into the crazy stuff where people are legitimately getting hurt and people are legitimately crossing lines of uh, of whatever. Yeah, and- or literally, we don't want to see hooliganism because it's a soccer show. So that it's a side of it that that gives it a bad name. And that you're right that there's a big and defined line to not cross, and that's called don't be violent and don't be mean. Don't be you can be mean spirited in a way that it's funny. But never cross that line and make it physical or just mean. Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, legitimately mean spirited. I mean, you could tell at the end when Michael and, and the two of us were having a bit of banter that we were taking the piss to use the English term that I've used a few times in this show yeah. with each other. We weren't necessarily legitimately hateful, and the, you know when you talk about the Whitecaps, I have a very conflicted opinion of them because. I'm old enough to remember the end of the end, end of the NASL uh, era, and I'm old enough certainly to remember the CSL. Um, I was always, you know, Toronto inclined, having been born in the city and growing up close to it. Uh, I so I always cheer for the Toronto team. But then again, I've also been very Canadian in my outlook as well. And when you're in leagues where you're competing against mostly American cities, there's this default, at least when I was younger, especially to to kind of cheer for the Canadian team when they were playing the American team in the MLS. Era because I've had more direct contact with the fans and some of the fans that do cross the line sometimes, yeah. it becomes more difficult to um, maintain that sort of uh, innocence when it comes to the other Canadian teams. We just have too much interaction. But then I also remember, you know, that I, I've shared beers at Canadian national teams games with these people, exactly. uh, that I have had, you know, lots of conversations with lots of people from all over the country. And I, I have my, my life is much more valuable I have much more value in my life is what I'm trying to say because I have these these friendships, for lack of a better way to put it, with people all over the country because of this sport, even though we cheer for a different uh, club team. So I think I you think- mentioned something really important, Wayne. It's the fact that we only have three clubs right now that are 
like three in the in quotas that are like providing the national teams. And when we get together, we actually have fun. That's the difference between here and the United States. They have like like almost 30 clubs, 20-something club that are feeder for the national team. There's some in ASL now even. So there's a 21 club giving players to the national team. So there's not the same bonding between the fans to cheer for the same team because there's many, many more team included. In Canada, we're only three that are in the top level that are feeding the team. And for us, it's almost like a bonding experience between the fans. So it's harder than to hate them that way because we know them personally. We we cheered on us for the same team once at least. So it, it's a, like I know people from Vancouver that came in for the U twenty games and we shared a beer before and after the game. We had we chanted together. We had we raised a flag together. And then it's hard for me to want their team to lose just because of that bond as well. That's that's a, an emotion, literally a real emotion that I, I get to feel. Yeah. On the other hand, however, when you go to the other side of that, there are, at least from my own perspective, and I appreciate that there is another perspective on this, but speaking from my own, um, I have philosophical differences with how the Mm -hmm. the Whitecaps operate in in regards to how they they utilize Canadian players. Um, I don't feel that they do enough uh, on that side, and I know that there are people in Vancouver that are going to listen to this that are going to vehemently disagree with me, and that's, that's their right, and they're entitled to that opinion. But from my perspective, when we're talking about the specific game, from a purely personal level, it is hard for me to get past those feelings. So when I sit down to watch that game on Wednesday, I don't know how I'm going to react. Because on one hand, I think there has been so much mess in the MLS in Canada that that I'm a little bit worried about the future of the game based on MLS. I think that MLS has hurt Canadian soccer and the perception about Canadian soccer mm-hmm. on some levels. And I think that the struggles of the club teams and since no club team in this country has finished above fifth in a conference, I don't think it's fair to say that even though Vancouver's in the postseason, that they're really necessarily burst out quite yet. And no Canadian games or no MLS playoff game has ever happened in Canada. I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, that there's been some kind of burst out at there either. No, you're right. That, that's a... So I think the thing that we struggle in here, that we suck here, quote unquote, is reinforced by the, by those, those things. So I can understand from that level but then I have those conflicted feelings at another level, so I don't know. I don't think I wish them ill. Um, I don't think I didn't wish the impact ill last year, though it was kind of funny at the end, i got to admit. Um, <laughs> it literally was funny. <laughs> yeah, I think even people in Montreal had to be chuckling by the sign of what the third red card came out. But at any rate... <laughs> exactly. Um, however, so it's a conflicted thing. I, I, I don't necessarily feel that I'm going to be joyous one way or the other, but I do think that after this long and winding and weird season, that it is kind of nice um, that we do have at least one playoff game to sort of engage us on some level in the MLS playoffs beyond just a complete peeking through the people uh, kind of view. And um, I'm glad uh, for that reason that they, the Whitecaps are in. And uh, for those that I have had friendly relationships in, in Vancouver, I do uh, hope that they they enjoy themselves as they watch that game on Wednesday night. And as I said the other day, Kevin... If, if they get through this game, and I don't think they will, as we said the other day, but if they do, I, I can see them going deeper. I can see them making another upset after that, and you never know. Once The deeper you get into the MLS playoffs, the more of a coin flip it is, and uh, I would be incredibly curious to see what would happen if, if the Whitecaps were to advance to the MLS Cup Final. I would even maybe travel to it, because as the fifth seed, they, they might be on the road in the East. Yeah, it's a... I might hold it to you to word because it's a pretty big uh, trip to do. It's far. 
<laughs> well, if they were on, if, if Vancouver's out, if Vancouver makes the MLS Cup final, they would be the fifth seed. So the high likelihood is that they would be playing a team on the East in the East in the That's MLS true. Cup final. So, uh, you know, I, I have I haven't been to DC uh, other than to a quick stop before. So if that were the case, I, I might go down. But uh, yeah, that, the, that's actually possible though. I didn't think about it that way. So yeah, if you make it there, I might join you there. All right. Well, there you go. And uh, we'll be doing a, a Kickstarter for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, we were gonna just take a quick little bumper break, and then we'll come back and we'll briefly uh, break down uh, the MLS news that broke yesterday in regards to uh, uh, Chivas USA. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at Twenty Fourth Minute and at Kevin Laramie, or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email Two Solitudes Podcast at gmail.com but especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And we're back and literally minutes after uh, Kevin and I finished recording yesterday's podcast, as, as the case may always be, uh, MLS news, pretty serious MLS news broke, so we didn't have time to include it in yesterday. So even though this is a Whitecaps uh, playoff preview podcast, we thought that we'd add a little bit to the end about uh, about the Chivas USA news, and that Chivas USA news is what we expected. Uh, we talked about Alicia with Alicia from uh, Go Parade a few weeks ago. Uh, Chivas USA is no more. Um and, you know, the first thing I'm going to say in that is we said to her that at that time, I think that even though Chivas USA didn't have that many friends or fans, mm-hmm. the fans that they did have deserved a little bit, a lot better than what they ended up getting at the end. Uh, that's kind of my feeling on it. I think that uh, I, I am uncomfortable with the way MLS is trying to, like, shift the focus on what's going to happen next. And they're already talking to a press conference today at some point where they're going to gleefully announce the owners that are going to be maybe attached with this. And they're going to get all excited about what LA2, as people are kind of calling it, are going to look like. When to me, we should be respectful and mourn the fact that they screwed up on Chief Is USA. And they really did a disservice to, a, to not a lot, like I said, but some fans. And I think some, even some is too many, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to tend to agree with you, especially the the way that it's a. It seems like they're trying to sweep that under the rug. And yes, Chivas USA is gone, but the the one thing that came out of that press conference is the new realignment of the conferences for next season, and they're really trying to hammer that point, maybe to overshadow the Chivas USA news. And they're trying to sweep it under the rug and be like, okay, it's done already, trying to move on. And I think that press conference today is it's for that reason too, to uh, literally bury Chivas USA as quick as possible. Yeah, they want to deflect it. And MLS never makes mistakes, according to MLS, right? <laughs> That's, you know, they just move on. They are a marketing machine in a lot of ways. I called them as much a marketing league as a, as a soccer league the other day. And I, well, I mean, maintained... Aren't they run by, aren't they in itself technically a marketing company? Well, soccer United Marketing is... <laughs> has a very complicated and uh, <laughs> MLS, the league is uh, to, if you to be a franchise owner in MLS, the league, you also get a franchise uh, split of uh, soccer United marketing, uh, which is where they really make a lot of their money. For those that don't know, uh, that's when you're going to hear a lot about this. When we talk about the CPA and the CBA negotiations, because MLS is going to cry poor and they're going to point to lots of fun little uh, spreadsheets out there which show lots of teams losing money, but what they're going to ignore and what they're not going to include in those, pre- in those spreadsheets is the Soccer United marketing uh, revenue. And then some people that support the owners will say, well, you know, they're different things and blah, 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 but the reality is 
it's like a an exclusive club where you uh, have to be a, an owner of MLS in order to get into some. So they're really, to me, it's just like splitting your money up and like spreading it around. It's like a tax thing more than anything else. But at any rate, that's one thing people are forgetting is the CBA is up like in the next couple of months. And that's going to be really interesting between the two seasons with the big fanfare they're trying to do next season with the two new expansion team. It's going to be really interesting to see the battle that's going to happen between the two camps in the offseason. Yeah, and some of uh, It's Called Football's best work was uh, was back during the last CBA negotiation. So I hope to emulate that and I've been working on some, some stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll be talking a lot about that in the offseason. However, to, to bring it back to Chivas, again... I don't think that we, and it's another thing. It's probably why they mothballed them. Is isn't they also want to point out they want to have? Oh, look, a franchise died. How how healthy can we possibly be? Right? Like it's to me, there might be a tie-in there. However, um, I think at this point in time, I feel for for fans of Alicia. I feel for whoever all the rest of the fans that were out there. Uh, even though it hurt TFC in terms of their draft pick getting knocked down a little bit further, it's going to uh, help them next season. Yeah, I was still glad to see that Chivas did get a win in their last game. Yes. Um, to get back to realignment, and then we'll end it with that. The, we always talk about <laughs> an east-west discrepancy in this league. <laughs> the two best offices in the east are gone. It got a lot worse because they basically bumped Houston and Kansas City west, which is, is sensible from yes. a geographical level. Because who that, knew the east and west demarcation was in uh, between Houston and Dallas? I did not know that. So <laughs> here you go. The, the east is going to contain, well, basically, if you think about it, uh, three of the worst-run franchises in the league, that being TFC, uh, sorry folks, the Montreal Impact, and the Philly Union, which are really happy that they share a conference with the two with the Impact and TFC <laughs> because they get ignored. The reality is, despite a lot of success, a lot of similarities to TFC, the Union have only made the playoffs once in five seasons, so they're not exactly a stellar operation down there either. And you can the include Chicago, a fourth club in Chicago, too. Yeah, the Chicago Fire have been in free fall for a few years. Firecrackers. Um, so, yeah, and then you put two expansion teams in that mix, and, and you arguably, from if you're Columbus right now, you're like, you're doing backflips because you have <laughs> teams that don't seem, that either are brand new or don't seem to know what they're doing. They're coming to your conference. Now, that said, Kevin, things can change quickly. I don't necessarily share the same hopeless view of, of many people in Toronto when it comes to TFC. I, I, I do see some hope there, but uh, we'll talk about that more later this week. However, well, next year you get, you're playing every team in the East, playing six games against uh, expansion teams. Just that, if you win them, it's 18 points that are against teams that are newly formed. Uh, that can mean a lot in a season where 50 points gets you into the playoffs. That said, the Seattle Sounders were pretty good out of the hop. So <laughs> true, true, very true. We'll, we'll see how this works out anyway. We'll, we'll, we're not going to know much more about Orlando and, and New York until we start to see their rosters form. Uh, we do know they're going to spend money. So uh, certainly I don't think they're going to be complete pushovers on that front. The question is, well, and you've got in, in New York, even though, you know, Manchester City's money combined with uh, crisis uh, MLS expertise could be an interesting uh, thing. Although uh, those that uh, know hockey know who Glenn Sather is, and know that... <laughs> it's very, there's a lot of analogies there. If you're a hockey fan, you'll know what I'm saying. It, the Rangers of the late '90s might not work out as well as people think. If Christ was more anyway, Hager um... was good with the Rangers. Sometimes people know how to really to put together uh, small market teams, but they don't know how to put big market teams because it's a different skill. That's kind of my feeling on that. So we'll see how that works out. 
However, on paper, to, to summarize this up, the East looks terrible next year. And um, that could be good. Hey, maybe that's how TFC is going to squeak in to, to lose on the road in a play-in game. Supporters' shields going to the East next season because one or two teams are going to run away with it. Absolutely. All right. Um, we have a lot of podcasting this week, Kevin. Uh, as I said, tomorrow, as a reminder, we're going to come back. We have an impact special tomorrow. We have TFC special on the day following that. And we'll also wrap the Whitecaps game up there. Uh, Canadian women play tonight, too. I wanted to put that out real quickly. We're not going to talk about that in detail, but maybe we'll, we'll add a little bit of conversation tomorrow to the end of our impact one about that as well. Um, on that note, Kevin, I'll let you say goodbye. TSN tomorrow night, uh, Vancouver at Dallas. And until then, have a great soccer. Good things might come to those who wait, but not for those who wait too late. We got to go for all we know. Just the two of us We can make it if we try Just the two of us